Welcome to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. This is Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I am speaking with Dr. Ben Lynch. Dr. Ben Lynch is the best-selling author of Dirty Genes and president of Seeking Health, a company that helps educate both the public and health professionals on how to overcome genetic dysfunction. He received his doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University, and he lives in Seattle, Washington with his wife and three sons. Today, Dr. Lynch and I talk about a really foundational topic, and that is of hydration. But so many of my patients are so dehydrated out there for various reasons, and I thought this would be kind of a fun, um, profound, but simple um, concept. And Dr. Lynch offers a lot of great insights and really practical tips and tools today. So please enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for listening. Welcome, Dr. Lynch. I'm so excited to interview you today. Awesome. Likewise, I, I hear from a lot of people and read on Facebook that quite a few people are seeing you as patients and they're pretty excited. So great to be talking with you again. Oh, well, no, I know I interviewed you. I think last year it was for the Heavy Metal Summit and we have um, so much to always learn from you and all the great work you're putting out uh, for our community and our profession. And I appreciate all that you do. And I'm excited to pick your brain today. And I know um, when we looked at topics to discuss one of them that you put out there was hydration. And I know it's really foundational and seems like a simple topic, um, but it's really, um, I think, at the root at some of our um, patients' underlying illness. And if you're obviously chronically dehydrated, you can't heal. So I was um, excited to pick your brain on this topic today, and we'll just dive in if that sounds good to you. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, um, you know, many of our patients come to us and one of the, um, the symptoms I often see is this frequent thirst in urination and they're even, you know, uh, waking up in the middle of the night to urinate. And, you know, these are patients who also carry around water with them. They're trying to put electrolytes in their water. They're trying to figure it out, but it seems like there's some other uh, factors that uh, contribute to their dehydration. So some of the underlying causes um, that you see for de- dehydration and especially chronically ill patients? Yeah, it's a big one. You know, hydration is so fundamentally important. It's like breathing and, and we just take it for granted. And uh, I think the things that we take for granted get overlooked very commonly in the clinic by both the patient and the doctor. And it could be these so fundamental things that are causing the majority of the problem. So uh, I really love looking at breathing and hydration both. Uh, so my grandfather always taught me, he said, Ben, you know, when you talk about something, you got to always define it. So when you when you said, well, right, let's talk about hydration, I, I just opened Google and I typed hydration definition. And it says here, the process of causing something to absorb water. So that to me is is a big difference than what most people think of hydration. Most people think of hydration as drinking water, but it's the process of absorbing water. And that is a major, major difference because it's, it's active. It's not passive. And so your body has to take the water that you just drank and actually get it in the cell. But before we get into all that, uh, like you said, there's, there's many things that are contributing to dehydration. And if you're chronically ill, I see a lot of times, and, and I believe you as well, is that the patients are inflamed, right? Yeah, and inflammation is, is basically fire, and it's, it's very highly concentrated uh, immune cells or histamine or cytokines, and, or you know, there's just a huge amount of concentration there, and then it's, it's 
a lot of active components and then a lot of water has to go into that area to reduce the concentration. So you get movement of water from one area to another, and then you can get dehydrated in one area of your body and more hydrated in another just from inflammation. And then you've got a lot of people are overloaded from histamine and a lot of people with chronic illness of any type have gut problems. And that could be where it started. Uh, somebody just texted me yesterday, uh, a 15 year old kid. And he goes, Ben, uh, my friend, she's got horrible, uh, body to toe eczema and what's going on. And I said, well, she needs to reduce the histamine containing foods and, uh, stop gluten and dairy for a couple of weeks and probably get on a probiotic. And, uh, I said, has she been taking antibiotics? And he goes, yeah. And, uh, she still is and has been for some time. I said, well, that's probably the start of it. So people have got to be looking at their guts, um, and then sweating at night. If you're a type of person who is in bed and you are sweating in the evening, A, is your room too hot? Uh, you sleep better and you get more deep sleep when it's cold. <clears throat> so that's one, um, too heavy of blankets. And another one is maybe, you know, Chinese medicine likes yin deficiency. So if, if you are excess, uh, energy, if, uh, you know, lack of calm rather than an excess of energy, chronic disease, so high stress, uh, you will probably tend to be sweating more in the evening. So you need to do more calming activities throughout the day and probably at night. But sweating, generally speaking, is going to be one of those things. A lack of thirst sensation or lack of thirst awareness or lack of thirst tuning in. I always talk about, and I talk about it in the book, Dirty Genes, too, that I I released last year. And, and I want people to be aware. And if you have a slight headache uh, and you've been fine, it's most likely dehydration. Um, so, well, not most likely, but a big factor could be dehydration. So just drinking and then frequent urination. Uh, there's doctors that like to ask the question, when you drink water, does it tend to go through you right away or does it stay in you for a moment, you know, quite some time? So basically, if you drink a glass of water, do you find yourself having to go pee right away? And if you do, you're probably mineral deficient or electrolyte deficient or, you know, uh, recycling the water um, through aldosterone and so on, um, causing a problem. So your adrenals might be taxed or you're nutrient deficient or you're drinking too much caffeine or loose stools, uh, vomiting, medications are big ones. Alcohol, um, these are all all big factors. Did I miss any big ones that uh, you also see, Christine? You know, um, these are all really great, um, you know, factors that I see commonly. And I, I think I shared, you know, with you before we talked, a lot of um, our patients know about the biotoxin pathway. And one of the mm -hmm. key factors in the biotoxin pathway is um, the pituitary uh, reduces the um, output of antidiuretic hormone. And so some patients may even have low antidiuretic hormone and that the experience, um, if you have low antidiuretic hormone is you're thirsty and you pee a lot, like you just said, that you're not absorbing the water. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's definitely you know, piece to the puzzle, but, you know, we, you know, we sometimes give people antidiuretic hormone and sometimes that can help while we're correcting all these other imbalances in their body. But some people that, that doesn't help and we're still battling, um, this, you know, frequent, um, urination and this lack of absorption of water. And so I think you, you know, you brought up a lot of great points and I know that we're going to dive into some more, especially around the histamine topic, because that's really 
a hot topic. I think nowadays, especially in chronic illness, we see a lot of patients who are highly sensitive and have this mast cell activation syndrome uh, picture and or degrees of that. And, you know, histamine is at the root of that. So, um, you know, I'm excited to pick your brain about that a little bit more. Um, Before we kind of go deeper, Ben, you know, so you said hydration is really this lack of absorption of water. So um, what are some signs that you would be dehydrated, especially if you think you're drinking water and that, you know, you're doing everything right, but maybe um, you're not absorbing the water as appropriately as you could? Well, one is uh, I don't know the normal uh, times of day you should urinate. Uh, what is it? Seven, eight, 12? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. So it's it's uh, if you're going more than that, uh, that's an issue. Um, and then also if you're just drinking water and it, you find it's like, if you're the type of person that's, you know, maybe your doc or your friend or your spouse says, you know, honey, you should drink some water before you go to bed. You're like, Oh no, 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 no. I can't do that. Cause I'll wake up at night and pee. So if you're that type of person, you know, and you don't have BPH as a man, you know, you don't have prostate uh, issues. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's probably something going on there and you need to suss it out. Um, another one is just uh, fatigue. You gotta, you gotta really tune into that. A lot of people get tired. And so what they do is they reach for carb sugary snacks to get a brief lift instead of saying, Oh, I need water. Oh yeah. I haven't drank any water in the last few hours. Or, uh, you know, I've been sitting in front of a fan or a heater for the past two hours in my office or in my room, you know, because forced air can blows, uh, you know, blows air over your skin and that can dehydrate you as well. Um, so you, you got to tune in and be aware of when the last time you drank was and, and you get it done. So, but if, if you get a sense of fatigue, then that could be a sign of dehydration. And, and why is that is because, you know, we, we know, we talk about how important the mitochondria are and the mitochondria, are these little tiny things that live inside of our cells and they help produce energy and they do that through oxygen and forming ATP, which is our body's energy. But the, the ATP doesn't just magically perform energy on its own. It actually needs water to do it. And so your, your ATP, let's say it's your, you know, the, the gas in your car, the gas in your car has to be burned and the ATP way to burn it in your body is with water. And so if you can't cleave off that one of the phosphate groups, cause that's what ATP is, it's adenosine triphosphate. And so the molecule of water will bind to the ATP and cut off one of the phosphates. And when that happens, energy is released and you feel you have energy. So that's actually pretty cool. When I read about that, I was like, wow. Um, another one is uh, obviously dry mouth, dry eyes. Um, that could be other things too, but just simple dehydration. Uh, yellow pee, if it's not from B vitamins. Um, and then another one, a skin trigger test is very useful. You just actually pinch your skin and let it go. And so I'm just grabbing my skin between my uh, thumb and my forefinger right now or the top of my hand. And I just let it go and it bounces all the way back except for like the last 10% of my skin it takes a little while longer to go flat. It should just spring back completely flat. So I'm actually a little bit dehydrated right now. I'm, I'm drinking coconut water right now. So nice. <laughs> Maybe it's working. <laughs> you know, I, coconut water, I, I learned about that because of the potassium, which is great. Um, but I started gaining weight. 
And because I would drink one to two liters of potassium water a day, or coconut water a day, and I was like, what the heck? And then I turned the bottle around, and it's actually quite high in carbs. Um, so coconut water, great. Mine now, and there's 12 grams of sugar. I have the uh, C2O. I guess. Yeah. I don't drink it that often, but it does taste sweet when you think about it, right? Yeah, it does, and it's, it's from a you know it's from the coconut, so it's got natural carbs in it. It's not like they add sugar. So, I mean, it truly is coconut water, but there is sugar in there. So if you're not drinking too much, you're, I think you're good. But I was, I tend to go whole hog on things. So I, I drank like a couple of liters a day and here I am three pounds extra, four pounds extra. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> oh. Wait, though, yeah. But I could see some of my patients, you know, they agree like, um, you know, a lot of a good thing is not always the, the answer, but I hear you. Yeah, and another, there's two other ones. If your blood pressure starts going up, uh, you can be dehydrated. Could it just be a, a you know concentration there? And that's also because histamine, uh, there's a famous book, I can't pronounce the last guy's name, but it's Your Body Cries for Water. And he talks about a lot of the higher histamine symptoms like asthma or eczema um, or red-faced or sinus issues, urticaria. You know, these are all related to histamine, which we'll get into later. But, you know, you're, if you become dehydrated, just think about it. The histamine in your body is going to be more concentrated. So the more water you drink and the more water you actually absorb, your histamine concentration will go down and you'll have less histamine-related symptoms. So if you're exercising and you're the type of person that gets really red in the face and it takes you about 30 minutes to an hour to lose that red face when you exercise, uh, that is very high histamine-related. And uh, I've had numerous people say, oh, my gosh, you just hit, you explained me. And so they started actually this one lady, she was uh, she had a genetic test done and she was homozygous for MT Shafar 677. And she was doing all this exercise and she started taking methylfolate uh, and B12 prior to exercising. And she never got the red face anymore. So it made a big difference for her. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great tip. That's really interesting. And, um, you know, you're already touching in a, on it right now. I know that a big part of your work is around methylation. And it's a huge topic, of course. But um, really, how can we um, look at methylation in light of dehydration? How do those two tie together? Well, you know, it goes back to what hydration is, and it's the process of actually absorbing water. And where do we absorb water? You know, having water in our blood is great, but we actually need to have our cells hydrated as well. And so you can't have your cells hydrated if the cell membrane is not strong. And so your cell membrane has to be uh, of, of strong integrity. It has to be have a decent wall and good structure. And so that most of the cell wall is actually made from what's called phosphatidylcholine. And most of the body's methylation process goes to producing phosphatidylcholine. And I, when I learned that about 80% of our methylation reactions occur in our liver, I was like, wow, that's pretty important. So we have to make sure our liver is, is healthy. So if your liver enzymes are whacked, uh, then your methylation is going to be causing a problem. <laughs> but uh, this, you know that goes back to your uh, bioaccumulation and xenobiotics and heavy metals and you know, xenoestrogens and all these things, right, can contribute to a congested liver and molds. Um, so, but that aside, 
we have to understand that methylation is this, is this amazing process in the human body that does many, many things, including turning genes on and off. But, you know, the majority of methylation is not turning genes on and off. It's actually making a component for our cell membranes. And so if your methylation status isn't very good and you're not producing a lot of phosphatidylcholine, your cell membranes are going to be more brittle and weaker and they're going to start breaking. And as they start breaking, then they go through a, an unnatural process where your immune system starts becoming more reactive to these components because it has to clean up the garbage because a broken cell is, is, a, is a, it's waste. It has to be cleaned up and your immune system is what cleans it up. And so, but anyway, I digress. Phosphatidylcholine is needed for your cell membrane. So that's one component of cell membranes of, of methylation. Another one is the, we touched on it already, uh, in order to get rid of histamine, uh, methylation is needed. And it's the first step to get rid of intracellular histamine. So the first step to get rid of histamine that's inside of our cells is through methylation. And the next step is vitamin B1 and 2 and zinc and so on. Um, so those are two main components. And then we have arsenic, uh, which can then mess up our energy and our metabolism. And so pumping nutrients in and out of the cell, like potassium getting into the cell and magnesium actually has to be pumped into our cell. And so if these electrolytes are not pumped into the cell, then the concentration gradient of water is probably also going to change. And so arsenic messes up with our energy production and a lot of other things, and it also inhibits our methylation. So, And arsenic is everywhere. So if you're not filtering your water, if you're eating a lot of chicken or brown rice or apple juice, uh, you know, all these things are very high in arsenic. You've got to, you've got to change that up, but really, really filter your water. Yeah. A lot of great information here, Ben. And, um, for some of our patients who might be listening and want to kind of think about their own health history. So the first thing you mentioned was, um, looking at liver congestion and kind of looking at, you know, how healthy is your liver and do you have any, um, clinical pearls or just even basic blood work that you use to kind of assess somebody's liver function? Um, I know that there are, you know, inexpensive tests that we run all the time, looking um, at a comprehensive metabolic panel, looking at, um, liver enzymes, um, or GGT, are there any, um, you know, things that you really like to look at to assess somebody's, uh, liver really quickly? Yeah. So very simply, uh, if you eat fatty foods, um, are you able to do that? Or do you get a right sided right underneath your rib cage heaviness? Or if you're just sitting here right now, does the left side, lower part of your rib cage, you know, if you take your fingers right now and you cup underneath your left rib cage and you grab your lower rib cage, okay, that's that position that, and then take your right hand and grab on your right side and, you know, be careful, but you don't have to be too careful, but just feel it. Does your left side of your chest underneath that rib cage at the very bottom feel lighter compared to your right side? And so right-sided, very bottom of your, of your uh, rib cage, if it feels heavier or tender to the touch, uh, your gallbladder and your liver probably need some love. And I, you know, I'll be frank with you. My right side feels a bit heavier uh, and not, there's no pain. It just feels uh, tighter there for me than my left. My left side of my body seems totally fine. And also, do you have referred right shoulder pain or do you have uh, chronic tightness in your right shoulder and you're kind of in your scapula area and your 
um, you know, kind of the bottom part of your shoulder blade and is your right side of your back always tight. So that could also be gallbladder. Another one that I love uh, is your look at your tongue and you stick your tongue out in the morning. Do you see any hint of yellow? And uh, if that's if you do, that's also a sign of gallbladder issues. So and liver. And I, I will tell you when I was traveling uh, through India uh, and, and I came back, I went and saw an Ayurvedic doctor and I learned that my horribly thick, <laughs> a little too much information here for you, but I had a really bad yellow tongue. And so I started doing panchakarma and taking these liver supportive herbs and doing sauna and massage and changing my diet, cutting out fats um, and nuts and all these heavy foods and processed foods. And I got my, my tongue back and it was great. So, uh, but those, those are some really basic ones, um, that I like that don't require any testing. Yeah, no, those are really great tips. And, you know, especially, um, now that the ketogenic diet is such a fad and, um, you know, which serves a purpose. I mean, I, I prescribe it, you know, when it's appropriate, but, um, you know, if you're not able, if your liver is struggling and your gallbladder is sluggish, um, that's not going to be the right diet for you. Right. And so, um, you know, again, you know, fats are essential um, to our health. But if you have a um, congested liver and gallbladder, we have to work on that first. Um, so you can get the most out of your food and um, you can actually absorb the fat. Yeah, great point. Yeah, it's, it's all the rage. And if you know, if you take a tablespoon of or even a teaspoon of olive oil or coconut oil, and you get you react to that unfavorably, then, you know, you could have a little bit of sluggish, sluggishness in your gallbladder. And my genetics for my gallbladder and my liver are actually pretty sluggish. Um, not many people talk about this one particular gene, but it's, uh, it's called MTHFD1 and it's uh, methylene tetrahydrofolate dehydrogenase. And this gene is, is really important for in the folate pathway. And if you have a, uh, a variant in there, like I do, which is actually pretty common in the population, you have a 70-fold increase risk for fatty liver. So here I was in my early 20s already having liver gallbladder issues, and I've got a myriad of, of variants in my folate pathway which predispose me to fatty liver. So I have to be very, very mindful and careful of what I eat. I cannot eat too many nuts. I don't drink uh, alcohol. I mean, very, very rarely, rarely. If I do, it's, it's like a half a glass of wine and I, or I'll open an apple cider without corn syrup and I'll drink like six ounces and I'm done. Um, so I, I rarely drink, but it's, you gotta be very careful and in, in tuning in again, um, to your, to how you're feeling. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And, um, you know, as you even mentioned, um, your liver can be predisposed. I mean, you don't, um, when people think about fatty liver, they typically think of, you know, alcohol overuse, but mm-hmm. our environment these days, if you do have a liver, that's going to be a little bit more sluggish or susceptible with what we're up against in the environment, you don't have to have alcohol be the trigger. It's really our environmental, um, exposures. Yeah. And excessive carbs. Yep. Yeah. And I, I was a, a carb freak as well in my twenties. I, you know, I had no clue about nutrition when I was in my twenties. I wish I did. It's always evolving, isn't it? What, what kind of diet do you follow now? If any, um, if, if it, you know, follows any path or is it just, 
Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your. Yeah, I would. I would say you know, Alessandro Freddi is a is a brilliant uh, guy, and I I love how he talks about it. So he's he's a ketogenic uh, diet mainly, <clears throat> but he calls it. Uh, I think he calls it keto adapted or uh, modified keto. Um, and I would say I, I'm more of a low carb person. Um, I do better on a higher protein. So if you were to classify it, uh, I would say I'm more paleo, but if I'm, if I eat too much protein, then I get, uh, too much ammonia and, uh, brain fog and tired and fatigued. Um, so do I follow any particular diet? No. Uh, I really tune in to what my body wants. Um, so if I have a craving for something and it's a health food, um, I will eat that until I'm uh, sufficient. Um, you know, for me, I do really well with beets. Uh, beets are a tremendous food for me. And thank goodness I married a Russian woman because <laughs> there's a lot of beets. Uh, and, and you'll see that in my book, Dirty Jeans, too. So I, I do not adhere to any diet. Um, I, I eat seasonally, um, so I eat more soups. Uh, I had borscht actually today, um, and uh, which is a Russian soup with cabbage and beets and other things. Um, but no, I don't adhere to anything. I just don't eat very many carbohydrates. I do more what's called, I don't like the name of it, but it's, it's called time-restricted feeding. Um, I don't physically restrict myself, but I, I do not eat uh, right away in the morning. I'll eat typically around 10 or 11. And I try to stop around eight o'clock or seven o'clock at night. So that will give me, what is that? Uh, 14 hours of fasting, right? So I should stop eating earlier. That's, that's something I, I need to do, but I'm, it's tough with the kids and their activity. Great job. Yeah, no, but I, I do. I agree. I think the either time-restricted feeding or in, intermittent fasting or whatever we're calling it these days, I do think there's just a, a lot of great research on how that is really health-promoting and just gives our body a, a break, right, from digesting so it can attend to other things. So. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so, so important, and not to, to direct away from our topic of hydration, but if you are over, well, actually, it's connected. If you are overeating, if you are eating to the point where you feel full, you're overeating. I eat until I'm 80%, 70-80% full and I'm done. Because if you overeat, you're, you have to remember what food is. Food is not just an activity or a social activity or something that we do for an enjoyment. That's, that's a side benefit. So, But eating is actually providing the nutrients our body needs in order for, to keep us going. Now that seems obvious, but we forget that because you just want to make that hunger pain go away and you want to you know, you want to tickle your palate. You want to get the dopamine hit. You want to enjoy your meals. But if you eat too much, you are creating a huge amount of inflammation. And at the same time, you are contributing to dehydration. So to go back to our original statement about what contributes to dehydration, I would say overeating and especially carbs. Uh, carbs really help you. Well, not help you. They hinder you. They You do absorb uh, retain, excuse me, you retain more water on a, a higher carb diet, but that's also inflammatory. So it's, it's not good. 
Yeah, that's one of the, I think, the first things people see in their uh, physical body when they switch from like a higher carb diet and maybe more of like a paleo type um, diet that they lose a lot of like swelling or water weight or inflammation in that way. So I think it's it's a good point to to make. Ben, so you mentioned, you know, looking at your genetics. And so I know there's a lot of different ways to do that these days. If one of our listeners wanted to figure out, um, you know, what um, their MTHFR, MTHD1 or PMT, you know, some of these um, SNPs that you've mentioned, how do you recommend going about doing that um, these days? Yeah, that's a good point. And it's something I need to talk about more because, 23andMe used to be the go-to, and I have since now, I, I currently recommend Ancestry.com. Uh, you know, you can get it on Amazon as well. So, and the reason why I recommend Ancestry over 23andMe is is because 23andMe has removed some of their key uh, variants from their raw data, so you they're not there anymore. So why they did that, nobody knows. That's their own agenda, but Ancestry uh, has them. So if you have not ordered a genetic test yet and you've wanted to, order Ancestry. Uh, it's the best bang for your buck. Uh, and then you have a, they don't give you any information about you know, MTHFR, MT51, because that's not what their job is. Their job is to get you, you know, ancestral information. So now you look for tools that you can take your genetic uh, raw data. That's what they call it. So you do the test and then you can export your genetic findings out of your ancestry or your 23andMe into various uh, third-party apps, and there's a plethora of them. <laughs> They're everywhere, and there's there's more and more made every day. You got to be careful because a lot of these genetic reports will a uh, oversimplify things and give you the false sense of security that you do not have this variant and therefore you are okay. So let's, for example, you do not have MTHFR and you're fine because you don't have it. So you can continue doing what you're doing. That's false security. Um, another one is, let's say you do have MTHFR, they will tell you that you should supplement with methylfolate and they'll give you supplement recommendations um, based upon that. And so anytime a genetic report tells you uh, or suggest to you that you should be supplementing based upon their genetic findings um, or based upon your genetics, that's totally wrong. And so what's also happening is these supplement companies are popping up everywhere that say, hey, let's do your genetics and we will customize a supplement based upon your genetics. Well, your genetics are the, let's say your computer, but, and you have, so Christine, are you using a PC or Mac? A Mac. Okay, you and I are both using Macs. Uh, I have a MacBook Pro, I believe. Um, do you as well? Yeah, me too. Okay, so you and I have the exact same DNA computer MacBook Pro, right? I've got a 15-inch screen, I think. Do you have a 15-inch or what is it? I think, yeah, I do. All right, see, we got a 15-inch screen. So our genes are looking the same, but our software and the, our documents that we have in our computer are completely different, right? I have photos of my family. She has photos of her family. She has labs of her patients. I have labs of the folks that I work with. And so on. So we, you cannot base recommendations for my computer or Christine's based upon the computer in front of me if the app is the problem. And so if you have to base lab findings and 
history in order to give nutrient recommendations. So any genetic report out there that recommends supplements or, you know, you have to do this based upon your genes is out. And so I did not want to create a genetic report out there because it was, you know, it was more time and more work, but I, I ended up doing it because I had to, and that that's called strategy and strategy is stands for strategic genetic analysis. And it's, is it easy? No. Does it require you to dive in and, and learn about biochemistry and, and pathways and all these other things? Absolutely. Um, it's not an easy fix because I would be BSing you if it was. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a complex world, but if you want to get into it and you start doing the work and you start learning, you join the Strategy Facebook group, you watch my videos, uh, you work with Dr. Christine – you know, you're going to get a lot further and you're going to not be having band-aids for your treatment. And you're going to say thank you because a lot, what happens is a lot of people do their genetic report or genetic testing. They run through all these genetic reports. They try the supplement protocol. They try the supplement to fix their MTGFR, to fix these other genes. And after a year, they get frustrated because it doesn't work. So skip all that. Yep. Do you um, know that's great? And I'm so glad, um, you know, you took your experience and your knowledge and you created this, um, you know, strategy. Do you, um, just to bring this to light a little bit more, so when people get their, you know, raw data and then they get this, um, you know, data um, basically translated, do you also use something like organic acid testing or other things to help? Mm look at kind of the what is happening like what um genes are being expressed or underexpressed or um is that a tool that you use or do you use something else just to yeah yeah how to how to make sense of all of this great question so i've actually uh we're rebuilding com right now and when it launches there's there's a few there's a whole plethora of dirty gene stuff. There's a dirty gene summit which will be available again. The dirty genes course, which is a great uh, addition to the book, and it goes more in depth. And then uh, a lot of visuals so people can get a lot of visual information. And then there's the dirty genes, what's called the dirty genes consults. And the dirty genes consults was was the uh, where I took individuals strategy reports. So I looked at their genetics and I had them do an organic acids test as well. And then I had them do the dirty genes quizzes to see how dirty their particular super seven genes were. So I took a bit of history. I looked at their organic acids and I looked at their genetics as well. And it was really, really cool to tie that all together into one. And so that will be available uh, when seeking out uh, relaunches with a new one. So it's called the dirty genes consults. Um, but yes, I lo absolutely love the organic acids. Uh, there's more markers that I wish were on there. There's some markers which I wish weren't on there. Um, but generally speaking, it's so easy and efficient for the patient to just get a quick P test. Uh, there's no sticking a you know, needle on arms. There's, there's, it's, it's just easy. And there's so much information you can glean from an organic acids test. And when you combine it with genetics, the right research genes, that's another thing. When you order genetic reports, you can get a, a myriad and plethora of garbage information that says that you've got all these variants and they're all, you know, red and they're all yellow and you, you get all freaked out. But there's no research behind them at all. 
So you have to know when, when you order a genetic report, there's actually evidence that there's some functional variation in that particular gene that you have or don't have. <clears throat> That's super important. Um, but yes, uh, short answer is I absolutely love the organic acids. And it's uh, what's really important to know, though, I believe, is when you get your organic acids results back, is I take the recommendations, the nutrient recommendations that the lab provides, I crumple it up and I throw it in the recycle bin um, because you, it's not that simple. You can't just run an organic acids test and see that your glutathione is low and your yeast is high and your B6 is low and kill the yeast and restore the glutathione and take B6. You, you have to look at the neurotransmitters and the inflammatory markers and these, you know, uh, neurotransmitter, uh, like kynurenin pathways and all that. You need, you need to put it all together with the history and come up with a game plan because if you just restore what you think by, uh, what's the, the abnormal findings on your organic acids and you just take a supplement or, or, or 10, uh, without lifestyle modifications, you're going to be frustrated and you're not going to get the results you need. Yeah, no, I'm glad we just spent a little bit of time on this because I think there's still like so much misinformation and, you know, people, you know now that this is all more accessible, which is great, um, people can take um, this information and run in the wrong direction. And it sounds like you've been busy with your website. So I'm excited. Huh. To be, <laughs> that's no small task, uh, creating a course and everything else you just mentioned. So, um, so no, that's, that's great. And so well, circling back, um, Ben, one thing that you mentioned, um, you know, with uh, tying into methylation dehydration was arsenic. And then you said, you know, how we're really exposed to arsenic in a lot of different areas and how, you know, water filtration is um, obviously a huge piece of being hydrated. So what is your latest take on um, water filters and um, keeping us, um, you know, keeping our water safe? Man, it's... Uh... You talk about a plethora of choices. Uh, water filtration is is one of those things that you know you, you hear a lot of promises about how good the water filter system is, and then you trust it, and then you you take the sample and you send it to a lab, and you realize it's actually not as good as they promised. Um, so, but I believe water filtration is is paramount because if you're not filtering your water with a water filter, your liver is, and so is your kidney and the rest of your body. So you become the filter. And the problem is we're already filtering the air. We're already filtering the, the Roundup and, and garbage that's in our food, and the GMOs that are in our food, um, and the bacteria that are all over the environment, um, and the stressors that we have, chemicals that are on our furniture and the carpets. So we're already inundated with massive amounts of things to filter. And we're composed, I think, you know, I'm 45 years old, so I'm probably what? 60% water or something like that. Um, so, you know, we, we're composed of a lot of water. And so if you are not filtering, it becomes an issue. So I recently uh, remodeled our home and I reached out to Darren Vihill of uh, Healthy Exposures. Um, and I think this is the name of his website. And I consulted with him. And, and so I've got this whole house water filter, which is something that I've been against uh actually for a number of years um but we take baths we uh shower obviously um and 
you know, I was like, well, we're wasting water for toilets, but, um, you know, filtering water filter for toilets, but there's, it's a different system, but we have a whole health system and there's, there's multiple carbon filters and there's, uh, this tank that's as tall as I am. It's like six feet tall and it's about a foot and a half wide. And it's a big black, uh, uh, container. There's no plastic in our uh, filtration system at all. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cutting edge. And so I'm, I'm going to learn more and more about it. Um, but I, we finally just ran all the pipes and the media, um, uh, finds out of the system. And I just drank my first glass of water yesterday before bed and it was exquisite. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I haven't had water that good since I've been in the mountains. So I'm really excited about it. And I will be sending uh, tap water to the lab and this filtered water to the lab. But if you, you know, that, that's, that's insane. That's high end, right? It's, it's like as high as you can go from what I understand with the water. Uh, well, probably not as high as you can go. You can go even higher, I'm sure. Um, but Berkey water filters are, are pretty good. Uh, B-E-R-K-E-Y. Um, I have a Berkey system and that's what we used for a long time. Um, but it was kind of a hassle cause you had to keep filling it up and we're a family of five. And, uh, so we I had to fill it up like three times a day. Um, so it became kind of a hassle and it's this big thing on your counter, but the water did taste good. It was clean. Um, I'm not sure how effective the fluoride filtration, uh, system is, uh, cause I didn't really see any drop in fluoride, uh, when I sent it to the lab. Um, but that was just N of one, um, cause I did have the fluoride attachments. Um, and then there's, there's water filters that you see actually not anymore, but, uh, maybe, maybe they're still out there. I don't know, but I don't see them on my feeds where a lot of big name, uh, influencers are recommending these, uh, water filters and purifiers. And they asked me to promote it as well. And I said, well, send it to me. And they sent it to me because I didn't want to promote it without looking at it and trying it. I don't do that. Um, and uh, I took it out of the box. I looked at it, and it was all made out of plastic. And I put it back, and I sent it back. Yeah. And they said it's BPA-free. And I said, it's plastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, we're already you know, inundated by plastic, right? You don't want your water sitting in plastic all day long. No, and BPA-free is, is, is nonsense because there's, it's plastic. So there's all sorts of other estrogenic components to your plastics. So BPA free is still plastic and you should be avoiding it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, and just the things that you're looking for when you test, um, you know, your water, like fluoride, obviously we want to get filtered out chlorine and those are both, um, halogens, right? So that's thyroid. Yeah. Um, and then arsenic is in the water. Um, you know, what did they say in Seattle? There was that, um, I don't know, that recent article about how yeah. even the oysters contain opiates, just in the sense of like pharmaceuticals can get in the tap water. And so um, what are some of the things that you're really making sure that your water is free from? Uh, that's a great question. And so I forget the name of the lab, but the test is actually in my garage. And now that I got this thing set up, uh, I'm going to do it, but it's, it's like, uh, it's like a hundred different things they test for. And there's a, there's a list of medications on there. There's, uh, there's, um, perchlorates. So you've got jet fuels, you have roundup, you have chemicals. Um, uh, our groundwater is just a mess. You've got fracking going on in various areas. 
so you can get the fracking components in water, uh, which is really, really scary. Um, and according to Dr. David Quigg, he's seeing more and more people uh, being, uh, I forget the name of the compound. Do you remember, Christine, what he was saying about that? A lot of, I've talked to him recently and I've seen thallium in people's waters. I've seen uranium, and they're heavy metals tests, uranium, Mm-hmm. Even cesium, I've had a couple of patients. So yes. it's kind of um, you know not typical metals that are you know radioactive, right? Uh, and they're hard to get out. Yeah, really hard to get out. I, I um I've noticed over the years my Southern California patients tend to have um, higher uranium in the Dr. Sato tests, and um, I think that's related to the water supply that the um, you know Southern California gets. And so it's yeah, it, it's a big deal. It is a really big deal. And so, you know, someone commented when I, I posted the picture on my Instagram uh, and it was like, wow, that's a pretty high end uh, system. That must have been expensive. And and to me, I don't look at expensive. Yes, it, it is expensive, but I really, really value uh, clean water for me and my family and our, our guests. And I really understand the value of, of clean water and how important it is. So I would much rather invest and spend on an expensive water filtration system. And I don't care about name brand clothing or name brand shoes or going out to crazy fancy restaurants. You know, I, I don't value that. I value health and I value feeling good. Uh, for me, health is freedom and it gives me the ability to do what I want to do on a daily and, and uh, basis for years and years. So by spending whatever it was, $10,000 or something on our water filtration system, sure, you know, I'll just work harder. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, and it's a good point. I mean, I know that's a lot of money for some people, of course, you know, but when you're drinking water every day and when we see how much money um, some of our patients have to spend to get well, it's, you know, it's really nothing, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I was reminded by an individual, if you go to stores like the Puget uh, Consumers Co-op, PCC or your local organic co-op, a lot of these uh, places will have water filtration systems that you can get them for like 35 cents a gallon or so. And so while you're researching water filters or you don't have the money yet set aside or you don't want to hit your credit card up with it, get a, a glass container and fill up your your water from these places. And it's going to be way better than most of your other water filter systems. So it's, that's a good place to start. And it's, it's pretty inexpensive. I do, definitely do not like the water delivery truck companies. Um, because the amount of fossil fuels they use to deliver that and store them in plastic, even if they deliver them in glass, I just, I can't get away with the fact that they have these massive trucks burning fossil fuels, delivering water to people's houses. It just, it just makes me mad. Yeah. 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 It's just, you don't want to trade one thing for, you know, another problem, right? You know, so. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's seeking health. We have, Supplement bottles, you know, and we're we're very very aware of what we do. That we're we're putting supplements that are of high quality and high value to the consumer, but they are still packaged in in you know compounds that can be recycled, which is great. But we have things that are you know like foil packs for our electrolytes that are not, and so we're we're always on the lookout for 
packaging that is environmentally friendly because here we are talking about how important it is to filter your water and if you're if you're buying things or doing things that are harder on the environment we are therefore affecting our own health by introducing more garbage into the environment so it's full circle and we're very aware of that at, at senior health yeah i know i know that you are extremely mindful and you know every step of the process when you have a business like curious where you're trying to help a lot of people there's so many choices right that you probably didn't even think about when you want to make a good form of methylated folate, right? You know, you didn't see all the um, choices you had to make. And, and, you know, I'm, I know that you're doing the best in a really imperfect world right now, right? Yeah. And we're always seeking out, you know, just uh, last week or two weeks ago, I, I talked with a lady that I might have a, a, a good environmentally friendly package uh, material for our uh, electrolyte sticks. So I'm excited to reach out to that company in, in UK um, to see if we can get that over here. So we'll see. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, you just mentioned electrolytes and I know we kind of wanted to land on, uh, this last kind of point. Um, obviously if you're not absorbing your water, one of the best ways to do that is of course, get clean filtered water. Um, but also, put electrolytes in your water and you know all electrolytes are obviously not created equal and you know some electrolyte powders are obviously full of sugar so what um what did you find when you formulated your electrolytes how did you go about doing that and what do you find um is working well it was i think our electrolyte blend i think it took me two years or two and a half years of of research because i i would really you know when you're introducing something like that and you are providing it to the public, you have to really do your due diligence. And uh, when you're messing with people's hydration, it's to me, that's serious. Um, so I, I really did a lot of work on that. And so what I found was in order to get the electrolytes where they needed to be, it required energy. And a lot of our uh, people and folks and patients or individuals generally across the board are tired you know, we live in Seattle or we live in a high-paced society wherever you are. And we're, a lot of people are drinking down caffeine or, or eating donuts or, or eating something to keep them stimulated and energized and, you know, what they're otherwise fatigued. And so if I just made an electrolyte with magnesium and potassium, because these are, magnesium and potassium are the two highest concentrated uh, electrolytes within the cell. So inside the cell, you need to have high amounts of magnesium and you need high amounts of potassium. And sodium is outside the cell. And sodium, we're already loaded, most of us. Um, and sodium is something that you could always add yourself from your own kitchen. It's pretty simple. So if you want to add more sodium because you're sweating profusely, go for it. Um, but it's hard to find potassium and the right form of magnesium is also difficult. The problem is is your magnesium and your potassium have to be in the right form, so they have to be well absorbed. So that's one problem. But the other issue is your magnesium and potassium have to be pumped inside of your cell. So just because you're drinking the electrolyte, let's say you look at the label and it has the right form of magnesium or the right form of potassium, let's say magnesium bicarbonate or magnesium malate or uh, magnesium citrate, you know, your potassium bicarbonate or malate or citrate. Let's say it has these forms in good amounts and you're all excited and you drink it and you're like, it's pure. There's no sugar. There's no food coloring. And you're like, all right, but you don't really feel any different and you're still tired. And, and, you know, maybe now you got loose stools and you're thinking, what the heck? So now you switch and you're, you're confused and now you're frustrated. So what may have happened 
is 40% of your body's energy at rest. This is a big point here. 40% of your body's energy at rest is to pump magnesium and potassium into your cell. 40%. So 40% of your daily's energy is used to pump these two electrolytes into your cell. And if most people are already not getting enough mitochondrial health or they're, they're chronic, Ill, chronically ill, that doesn't happen. So I said, how can I get the potassium and the magnesium inside of people's cells if they're so chronically fatigued and shot and they don't have the energy to do that? So I said, okay, I'm going to put some ribose in there. And I'll put two grams of ribose. I'll add some creatine. I'll put taurine in there because taurine and magnesium are incredibly important. Then I added niacin because niacin helps make NADH uh, for the Krebs cycle. And when I did that combination, wow, uh, it's, it's unbelievable the results uh, from, that I get from people. I mean, all the time I, I get people just can't believe uh, how effective our electrolytes are. And it's because we just didn't put the right forms in. We also thought about the, uh, being able to get the nutrients inside of the cell. And that has been a game changer uh, for a lot of people. And so we, we've got them uh, unsweetened. We have one that's completely unsweetened without anything. It's just the pure electrolytes with the energy support. And then we have two others that are uh, naturally flavored, truly naturally flavored without any GMOs. And they do have uh, a bit of sugar in them as well. But we are removing stevia from all of our products as well at the moment. Yeah, no, that's a great formula, Ben. I, um, you know, I hadn't looked at this yet, but um, no, I don't think of any other electrolytes are doing that, you know, especially the ribose and the taurine and the creatine. Um, and then the niacin, because I know my, my patients are going to ask me this, um, the niacin in this formula, do you see, um, does it create a flush or is it low enough that, um, you know, people don't flush or if you want to <laughs> spend a moment on niacin and yeah, for sure. It's the form of niacin that does not cause a flush in this one, I believe, but we're also reducing it um, from like 75 to 35 or something. Um, so we're reducing the niacin. We've had a lot of requests from people to reduce the niacin down. Um, so we are. Um, and I have no problem with that because 35 milligrams is still plenty. Um, so I don't see people flushing from our electrolytes. I haven't really heard it too often. Um, have you? Uh, no, no. I mean, I am. Um, I have not, but I just, um, niacin is, my patients are so educated. So I know if, when I recommend this, they'll be asking me, <laughs> am I going to flush from this? Yeah. So our, you know, some formulas like our B complex plus, uh, or our optimal sleep, uh, some people do flush from those, um, or B minus some people will flush from those. Um, cause we just typically have just niacin. Uh, I do love the niacin form and flushing, is just it's not harmful by any means. It can be uncomfortable um, and embarrassing if you're in a public place, uh, but it's it's actually uh, it's there's no harm with it. And over time, uh, you should be able to withstand that level of amount. So if you take, let's say, for example, uh, the the optimal sleep or the B minus, and you you take it and you flush the first time, the next day. Uh, you still might flush the next day. Maybe you still flush the third, you know, the following day after that, you should be fine. Um, but, uh, you know, it, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Great. No, that's really great. I'm going to check this out and, um, no, I'm always excited to learn more about your products and we can 
using them at Sophia for a while now. So we appreciate the work that you're doing in formulating. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and uh, the optimal electrolyte plane is, is it, it's, uh, we're renaming it to unsweetened, I believe, because uh, plane is, is not, is, is bad. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm just a marketer. I'm just formulating <laughs> research. I think it is. <laughs> It tastes like seltzer. It's it's actually become my favorite. And if you add, you know, whatever you want it to, it's it's you can mix my life. My wife uh, likes a, you know a splash of organic apple juice with it. Um, I just drink it plain. Uh, it's really refreshing. But it, one thing I did notice too, uh, Christina, that I want to touch on because I know you guys are really into this as well at your at the Sophia Clinic is is uh, Wi-Fi and and all these other technologies. So. Uh, our internet was down at our home for the past few days for various reasons. And so I was using hotspot on my phone, which requires Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And, you know, here I am three days in, um, you know, I'm using this for six to eight hours a day and I, I'm just not a fan. I'm, I'm hardwired. You know, I've, I've, I'm using ethernet right now. I don't, I don't even have Wi-Fi in our home. Um, so get to my kids, <laughs> Uh, our cell phones don't even really work in the house either because I've shielded everything. <laughs> oh, it's a big issue. It is. It's a huge issue. And, and so what I what I wanted to share, which is kind of interesting, and it's only happened to me, I think, uh, a few times, but I, I think I really I want to get it out there. Is So I I was doing this Bluetooth and this Wi-Fi thing and, and hotspot thing. So just regardless, I was using wireless technology in front of my computer and concentrated uh, because I had to use my phone plus the computer and uh, I was getting fatigued. I was getting headachey and I, I was not feeling very good. Uh, I, I don't feel good from these things. I don't feel sick, but I don't feel right. And so I, I started taking liposomal C and, and glutathione. It, it does help, but it wasn't enough. I drank water meh, and I added our electrolyte. And I felt much better, but I, I usually have one optimal electrolyte a day. I had four uh, in one day and that's, so it makes me think, are we getting dehydrated from these EMF Wi-Fi's all over the place? And, uh, because, you know, from, you know, kind of when you think about our, you know, electrolyte balance and our cellular charge and maybe mm-hmm. EMF is affecting our bodies in that way. Yeah, so I felt very dehydrated from these tech, from that uh, experience, and you know I pinched my skin today, and I, I was telling you like the last the last little bit uh, of my skin is still it's like a quarter of a second still bumped until it flattens out. Um, so to me, I'm, a, I'm still a touch dehydrated, but I just want people to realize if you're using Wi-Fi technologies, you probably need electrolytes. And uh, so the electrolytes and the liposomal glutathione have been game changers for me uh, to be able to withstand the the harms of the Wi-Fi. Yeah, and it's just not, you know, going anywhere, unfortunately. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. trying to educate our patients as much as possible and to do what you can do in your home, right? Um, But unfortunately, with, you know, 5G and, you know, just this next generation of cell phones we're just going to be you know inundated um but but yeah no electrolytes and then you know i always like to tell people 
um, do what you can at home, right? You know, not to have Wi-Fi in your home and try to have a really safe sleeping location. And if you can afford to shield your, you know, um, at least bedroom, you know, that's that's the best work, place to start. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've got, we have aluminum roofing on our home. So we have metal roofing that shields. We have a, aluminum siding and that shields. And then we have double glazed windows because we uh, face south and east. So we have a, a lot of sun, which is fantastic. But we use the double glazing to reduce the amount of heat coming through the windows. Uh, even though we're in Seattle, you know, you still can get a lot of thermal heat coming through. Um, so the double glazed windows, I learned, also bounce off EMF. So just from the aluminum siding, the aluminum roofing, and the double glazed windows, our house is pretty bulletproof from uh, the EMF signals from the outside to the extent that uh, you have to go outside or open a window. So I can be in the house and I'll open the, the sliding back door or a window and the Wi-Fi will come or the, the signal will come in. If I close it, it goes away. It's really interesting. That's how you know if you've shielded well, right? You can very clearly see if the signals go down or. Yeah. And it's you and the bars on your phone don't really mean anything. If it's one bar or two bars, you don't, there's no science behind that. It's all subjective. Um, So, but just know that one, one bad thing is we've shielded the house so well that when you have your cell phone on you, it's, it's sending a bigger signal to try to reach the tower. Yep. So you have to keep your phone off your body. Otherwise, you know, it's a problem. Yeah, that's what we shielded Sophia. And we have everybody turn off their phones when they come into the table mm-hmm. for that reason, because um, you can make the issue worse, right? If you have the phones um, trying to get a signal in a shielded. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I stepped into my, our home and I had the phone in my pocket. I do have a, a, a guard on my phone. I don't know how good it is. It's the... It's the radiation protection. What is it? Safe sleeve. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I, I I need to test it. Somebody tested it. It wasn't that good. Another person tested it and it was good. So I, I need to test it myself. Getting. I know you're going to be busy testing water, testing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like objectivity. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Well, no, I, I really appreciate your time today, Ben, and I know that you are putting all this great information out into the world. And how can people learn more about you and your work and where to find your electrolytes and all that stuff? Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so uh, seeinghealth.com is where you can get uh, all the formulations that I've done. Um, Optimal Electrolyte is there. Um, and uh, that is a, a, a big one that I love people starting out with. And I do recommend the um, plain, uh, or unsweetened as it will be called. Um, but I, I do recommend those. And, uh, then we will have the courses on there as well. Strategy is currently on there the strategy and genetic report. Um, it is hard work. It does require you to think, um, there are no easy answers. Uh, a plus B equals C on there. It's it, but it teaches you, uh, how your body works. And then you can work with docs like, uh, Christine to, to guide you through it because you know, all these things very well. Um, so, but the strategy is available and then we'll have courses available there as well for you. And then, uh, I'm on Facebook and, and Instagram, uh, as well. And I do Facebook lives and I'll do Instagram lives periodically. So, um, at DR Ben Lynch and at DR Benjamin Lynch at Facebook. 
Great, great. Well, we'll um, put a link to all this in the show notes. And I can't thank you enough for your time. And we're in the middle of a snowstorm here in Seattle, where we both live. And um, I know you probably have to get back to your family. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Ben Lynch. Please check out his website, drbenlynch.com, and then seekinghealth.com as well. And if you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can reach us at info at drchristineschaffner.com. And please, if you feel compelled, um, I would really appreciate a review. Um, I, again, so appreciate everyone who's tuned in. And I've really enjoyed doing these podcasts. I've learned so much from my guests. And I'm excited to continue to offer you uh, more information. Thank you and have a great day.